Good morning and welcome to the week on three with me, Noreen Mir. Is it just me or is it freezing out there? I find myself often having to convince other people just how cold Hong Kong gets. I mean, this concrete jungle sure gets a bit cold. Now, looking back at some of the highlights on Radio 3, it's been a week all right. I'd even like to say it's probably been like a week and a half. Now, from a busy week politically to, I hope, a more relaxing Saturday morning for you, wherever you're tuning in from. I've got some musical talents from Canada and Australia. And if you're into current affairs, I've got some back chat lined up for you, too. So let's start this week's program with local artist Rachel Smith, who I spoke to on Wednesday's 123 show. Rachel is an artist as well as the producer of Hong Kong Stories, which is a local non-profit English-speaking grassroots storytelling organization. And here she shares some techniques for a good storytelling performance. The fundamentals are a story has to have a conflict. Something has to happen. There has to be a stake for the storyteller. If nothing happened, which is why we tell true first-person stories. So if nothing happened that risks something, it's not a good story. You know, it's it's somebody else's story or it's just an anecdote about something funny that happened to you. It has to have some element of risk. It has to have a beginning, a middle and an end, but it doesn't have to be in that order. Um, it has to have clear characters. It has to have a story arc. So a lot of the time when we get stories at, on their first iteration, um, we'll get a story that's really complicated and about lots of different things. And we'll say, okay, you just told three stories there. Now choose one. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, come back and tell the other two. <laughs> so in that way, we often we're able to cut out a lot of the extraneous information and get right to the heart of the matter and get something that's really compelling for people. Yeah. Do sometimes do people sort of write down their stories and share from a script? And how do you sort of coax people to step away from that sort of safety net of having something to, I don't know, to, to read off, to prompt them, you know? We do, we do, when we, when we tell our stories live, people know this right from the beginning, when we tell our stories live, there's no notes allowed. Um, so you can't use notes when you're telling on stage, but we do write things down in the meantime. We often encourage people to write things down. So when you first come to a workshop, for example, what we might say is, can you tell me your story in one sentence? Because that boils it down to the absolutely essential elements of what you're trying to say. And, and through that, you can figure out what the important parts are and what the extraneous parts are. You know, even if that part is really funny, it might not move the story along. So you can get rid of it. Um, and then um, we often write things down in the meantime, especially in the past year when we haven't been able to meet face-to-face in the same way. We just trade scripts and things like that a lot of the time. And we'll give feedback and that sort of thing. But the difference between a written script read out and told on stage is, you know, almost 100%. <laughs> it's so, so hard to sort of uh, read naturally. I mean, even uh, as a broadcaster myself, it's so hard to sort of make your script sound natural. So sometimes it's almost easier to, to, to abandon the script, I suppose. Absolutely. If, if that story is your own and, and you know, you're faithful to your own story, you sort of share from the heart. And a lot of the times when you're watching somebody perform on stage, um, it's part story and part performance. How do you sort of get people to hone into their performance skills if they're not sort of naturally a performer? Well, you'd be surprised at how little natural talent you need. It's really about practice. So we work together in the rehearsals for a month. 
And usually that's meeting up once, sometimes twice a week, either with the host or with the whole group. And, and it really is. Our storytelling is really about the group itself. It's not about the audience. It's not about the individual. It's about how we support one another and how we work together as a group. So not just me as a host or my other Hong Kong Stories, fellow Hong Kong Stories hosts, not just us as hosts, but also all of the people listening will also have very good feedback. So each of the storytellers will listen to each of the stories and say, I'm confused about that part. If you're confused about it, chances are other people will be too. So we need to fix that and make it clearer. And in that way, it's not just one person instructing. It's a group that works together. And really, that's where the bond and that's where the magic of Hong Kong Stories works is that um, group working together. And then when you get on stage, you've got seven friends behind you who are in the same boat, who are doing the same thing. And so you're nervous, right? You're like, oh, I'm nervous every time I get up. You're nervous, but you've got seven other people who are nervous there too. And we often do like, we can give you, you can give your script to one of your fellow storytellers and they'll have it on the side. So if you forget what you're saying, they can prompt you. Like a stand-in you know. sort of like in Hamlet, I've got somebody there. Absolutely. In the That's brilliant. <laughs> so like, I know I'm supposed to be doing something now, but... Uh, and then somebody's off in the background going, you're in Singapore. I'm like, oh, right, 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 Singapore, right, got it. And you keep going. <laughs> and sometimes mistakes can, or sort of, you know, these make it more real and more authentic and more endearing in a way because the audience is sort of rooting for you. I know in the past if I've yeah, sort of and, stumbled. Yeah, and you're not this. Exactly. It's, you're more human. You're not this polished, like 100%, oh, it's, this is not a stand-up comedy act or, a, you know, this is a, a, a performance in, in a drama or something like that like you're a real person standing up there saying judge me this is something that happened to me judge me for what i've done and we've always had positive responses because it's the audience is there with you yeah it's amazing <laughs> That was Rachel Smith from Hong Kong Stories. If you want to hear and see more of her art as well, you can revisit the entire interview on my Facebook page, Noreen Mayer on RTHK Radio 3. Right, now let's turn to Friday's Common Room, where Alison Howe spoke to international superstar Johnny Orlando, who is a Canadian-American singer-songwriter, and he talks about his upcoming collaborations, well, sort of, and some plans that he aims to have in 2021. So finally, we are looking forward to 2021. You've been telling us how everything is kind of only in the talks. Nothing is really solidly planned because nobody can actually plan anything at this moment. If you were to kind of think about what you would like to do in 2021, is there any particular milestone that you want to hit? I want to go on tour again. That's pretty much it. I want to go on tour and then maybe... Um, I think an album would be nice. Album 2021. That'd be cool. How would an album be different or is it more significant compared to an EP? Definitely more significant. Um, I want to I wanna start uh, start making music more close together. So I think to, to go through making an album, I would have to be just like locked down in the studio for a couple months and then hopefully uh, put it out sometime like the first half-ish of the year. If, if that was kind of like the, the plan. I'm not quite sure what I'm doing. Um, again, only time will tell. It's hard to know because things change every day. So uh, when I know, I will let you guys know. All right. Um, yeah, but for now, just more music, a lot more music. 
That'd be awesome. It seems like everybody is able to collab during quarantine. Is there any cool collabs that's coming up? There are, yes. Um, I can't say anything. Ah! I'm sorry, but uh, there are going to be some really cool collabs coming this year. Uh, I, I've kind of straight away from doing collabs in the last last couple of years. Uh, I don't really know why, but I want to start. I want to start getting studio with other artists for sure. That was Johnny Orlando chatting with Alison Howe on Friday's Common Room. One of the biggest news in Hong Kong of this week is the mass arrest on Wednesday, where 53 people have been arrested under the national security law. Many critics say that the crackdown on some of the Hong Kong pro-democracy figures is seen as a serious breach of the one country, two systems, and that China should review its position on this. Others have said this is a necessary move in order to safeguard the stability of Hong Kong. On Thursday's back chat, hosts Jim Gould and Hugh Chiverton spoke to in the first half of the program with John Burns, emeritus professor and honorary professor from the Department of Politics and Public Administration from the University of Hong Kong, and also Carol Peterson, professor of law from the William S. Richardson School of Law and graduate chair of the Matsunaga Institute for Peace University of Hawaii at Manoa. Professor Peterson talks about her concerns about the national security law changing the very nature of Hong Kong. It's a very, very sad situation, and I think it's going to put people who supported the national security law, people like Ronnie Tong, in a very difficult position as well. Um, we were all assured that this law was necessary to stop violence in the streets. And from the beginning, I and many other commentators said that's absurd. Hong Kong has plenty of laws prohibiting violence. And you don't need a new law to prosecute people for acts of violence. The purpose of this law was to try to stop peaceful political activity and peaceful expressions of dissent. And sadly, that's what we're seeing. And I think the people who supported the enactment of the national security law or didn't speak out against it at the time really have to reconsider their position now because it is changing the very nature of Hong Kong and it's completely violating the one country, two systems principle. Yeah, maybe that's right. Maybe that's going to happen. Maybe the nature of Hong Kong uh, will change. The Hong Kong that we've got used to over the past 23 years uh, is going to fundamentally uh, alter. That's the reality, isn't it? Um, that we've got to get used to a different Hong Kong and, and it, it, a new it, Hong Kong? It appears to be, yes, it appears to be so. I had hoped that when the national security law was enacted that perhaps Beijing was simply hoping to establish a few bright lines, such as you're not allowed to establish a party with the purpose of asserting self-determination or the purpose of um, you know, promoting independence. I was hoping that perhaps they were just trying to establish a few bright lines and then would indeed not interpret or enforce this law in such a broad fashion. But what we're seeing is much worse than I think any of us expected, certainly much worse than I thought would happen. Um, I would think that Beijing would care about its international reputation. It's being condemned widely by the EU. Um, the Human Rights Committee will be reviewing Hong Kong very soon under its the ICCPR, but it doesn't seem to matter. Um, and perhaps it's true that Beijing is simply taking advantage of the very chaotic situation in the world today. And 
and it does make it very difficult for the international community to respond. But it's a clear breach of Beijing's obligations under the joint declaration, and it's a clear breach of Hong Kong's obligations under the ICCPR. John, John Birds, I mean, yeah, isn't this going to be a new Hong Kong, uh, the, the sort of uh, liberal democracy-ish place that we had previously in Hong Kong, uh, that's going to change. We're going to be essentially a, another city in the Greater Bay Area. Um, that's the future for, for uh, Hong Kong. And um, I- in essence, that's because a liberal democracy and a, uh, a totalitarian government uh, can't coexist. I guess I have to agree with you. I mean, but let's not forget that you know, 55 to 60 percent of the people of Hong Kong regularly support the opposition. And they vote. I mean, they voted in huge... Big deal. What are they going to do? What are you going to do about it? Okay. So they are disenfranchised. They're angry. They're alienated. Some will... So what? Arrest them. Okay. No, no. Yes, exactly. Exactly. This is... the, The strategy is precisely that. To arrest them, imprison them, Expel them, all this kind yep, of thing. Yeah, all those so, things. Yeah. So, so this, yes, yes, yes. This is, this is, um, this. Until is they stop doing the, it. What? Uh, yeah, arrest them and put them in jail until they stop doing it. Exactly. So, I mean, I think that you know, we were told by the authorities. Well, the six hundred thousand people that voted in this primary. Well, okay. They're innocent pawns. They didn't know what they were doing. I'm sorry. They did know what they were doing. So, so this is all part of um, changing the political culture in Hong Kong. And the the exco and the CE and the pro establishment people and let's go are all complicit in this. So when we, this is precisely what's going on. So angry, alienated people is not harmony. I mean, she's talking about, whoa, isn't it great? Harmony has been restored. Actually, it has not been restored. So the potential for street violence is still there. We know this. The police know this. Why why were they out in massive numbers over the new year, for example? It's precisely because of that. So... um, you know, people will leave. I'm sure that's true. Some people will speak out, and then the rest of the the rest of us just carry on angry and alienated. This I don't see any way out. This uh, allegation of a an evil plot to uh, overthrow the government. Uh, um, it's a, a, a 10-step route to mutual destruction. Uh, I mean, this is based on a scenario set out uh, last year by the former Hong Kong U Law lecturer, Benny Tai. Um, could this not just be seen as, as, you know, the authorities are taking steps to create a disaster before it happens? Yes, but then I look at that plan the same way I look at Trump's tweet. That is to say, it. I mean, you have to analyze the plan. How realistic was this plan? And it is so far from realistic that it is laughable. 35-plus in LegCo with the rules as they are, of course, this, was, this is never going to happen. This would not happen. And rather than 
mobilize people to compete in an election, which the DAB and the Communist Party did not want to do, um, they chose this way. Let's remember this is not new. Look at Singapore. In Singapore, the PAP was only able to win elections, decisively win elections, after the the British colonial authorities had banned, arrested, imprisoned Communist Party members and and expelled them. So this, you know, our our opposition are definitely not Communist Party members, but this this is what's going on now. And that was Thursday's Back Chat with Professor John Burns and Law Professor Carol Peterson. Now let's turn to something a little bit lighter, well, just slightly. On Tuesday's Afternoon Drive, Steve James, as usual, gives us a little chuckle. Oh, I know what I wanted to ask you. Have you got your tax form yet? Your, your, not the form, the, um, how much you got to pay. Have you received? I haven't. I like their uh, I like their advertising campaign though. The Inland Revenue's come up with what it thinks is a, is a catchy new slogan. We've got what it takes to take what you've got. Quite like that. Hey, how's your uh, New Year's resolutions going? <laughs> Did you bother? So many. Oh, I had I had this idea. I'm surrounded by people. I get messages from people uh, about you know getting healthier you know for, and it doesn't last so here, here was my plan up until lockdown this was the idea i was going to open a gym open my own gym for everyone who made a new year's resolution the hook was that after two weeks it turns into a bar in other news scientists say that neanderthals there you go neanderthals back in the day wore makeup some 50,000 years ago. 50,000 years ago, uh, we were wearing makeup. Well, you know. But putting mud on your face didn't become really popular until somebody put it into a jar and sold it for the best part of $1,000. Quiet. There's an ad coming on. Steve James. I don't know if you've got the whole picture or not, but he's not exactly working on all the thrusters. And born this day, 1923, one Mr. Sam Phillips, founder of Sun Records, the first label of Elvis Presley, recordings with uh, Carl Perkins, Ike Turner, B.B. King, Jerry Lee Lewis. Phillips died on the 30th of July 2003. A fine, fine innings. We are going to take one of those early recordings of Carl Perkins. This is Dixie Fried.
cops heard Dan when he started to shout. They all ran in to see what it was about. And I heard him holler when they led him away. He turned his head and this is what he had to say. Holler, rave on children, I'm with you. Rave on cats, he cried. It's almost dawn and the cops call. Let's all get sick, he cried. Get right, And that was Tuesday's Afternoon Drive with Steve James. I'd like to now end today's program with Wednesday's Morning Brew, where Phil Whelan talks to musical talent all the way from Australia, Wallace Mayer, about his musical journey and how he got started in this industry. I, I started off when I was 14. Um, my dad and uncle were, were um, very well known in the 60s, you know, the, the rub shoulders with the Beatles and the Kinks and such like. Awesome. So I... I um, I had a good apprenticeship, should I say, um, playing with them at the age of 14 in the Mull of Kintyre in Scotland. And then it progressed on from there and started writing songs about when I was 16. And I've, I haven't stopped, Phil. I've, I've played ever since and um, I'm just loving it. What, Every bit as much, if not, not more. What do you think motivates you? these days i mean <clears throat> you said to me you moved to aussie about five years ago and from somebody from um deepest darkest scotland i mean boy oh boy you've gone from black to white white to black whatever you want to call it did that really get the juices going yes um as we all know the climate in scotland isn't isn't great or, or in the uk as a whole where you know it's a fairly damp um, climate sure so when I, came, when I came here five years ago, uh, I, I was overwhelmed with the, with the heat and the, the amount of sunshine, the big, huge skies, uh, you know, just, just a massive place. And um, yes, it truly inspired me um, uh, um, about a year, six months to a year moving here. I started to really get into Good. writing Good. seriously. Well, uh, I wouldn't say yet prolific, but <clears throat> you've probably done a lot more stuff than you would have than you would have done, judging by the way you just described your hometown. Tell me the yeah. kind of stuff you write about, Wallace. Remind me what the song was that we played last time on Morning Brew. The last song that was played in Morning Brew um, was a song called "Moving On." That's right. Great. Yeah, it's it's. Um, just a, a kind of typical love song scenario where the relationship doesn't go quite as well and, and they decide to, to move on. Yeah. And we had um, a colleague of mine at work, we were working on a roof and um, I said to him, um, I'm going to come on the radio in a minute. <laughs> and he's like, no, no way, Wallace. And I goes, yes, I am. And um, all of a sudden there's a video of us listening to it on the roof in Canberra. So it was a, a magical moment for me. 
<laughs> you should have won some money on that one. Aye, for sure. I should, I should have put some bets on the line, but I, I do appreciate you for that. That was that was one of the highlights of my career. Yeah, well, look, I like, as I say, always, if anybody's written a song, they're welcome on the programme, live or recorded. You know what I mean? Just um, Anyway, uh, tell us where people can find you online, and then we'll have a listen to the song you've sent me this morning, which is called This Is Paradise. We'll do that in a minute, though. How can people find you online? Thanks, Phil. You can find me on most of the, the major platforms, Spotify, Deezer, iTunes, um YouTube. The, oh, you've done the work, you know, basically. Yeah, j- j- just all all the platforms. There's 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 so many places that you can get the album. And the album's called What's in the Name, and as you kindly said, there, Phil, the single, the new single is um, This Is Paradise. So, um, if you want to check me out, just jump on the the um, platforms. Yep. And if you want to spell his name correctly, it's M-A-I-R. That's how you spell his name. Because being Scottish, there's about 65 spellings of that, I bet, right? It, it does. That's one of <laughs> Shall we have a listen right now, Wallace? Why don't you introduce once more what we're about to hear? OK, this is my new single, and it's called This Is Paradise. smile each time you are near me making me smile feels good you're making me want to get even closer sailing an old driftwood and when you try to tell me when things ain't been that good makes me want you even more I know I love you, that's for sure Beautiful laughter, a beautiful smile Is all that I need to see And then it's together Sharing and dreaming This love is meant to be And when you try to tell me This love will last forever And I just love you even more I know I love you, that's for sure Cause you are the reason I'm feeling so happy You take me to paradise Lifted me up when I started falling Always there by my side And when you take me there I know that you're with me I know that you really care well, I feel love so much alive Baby, this is paradise I 
when you try to tell me when things ain't been that good makes me want you even more I know I love you that's for sure you are the reason I'm feeling so happy you take me to paradise lifted me up when I And that was Wallace Mayer talking to Phil Whelan on Wednesday's Morning Brew. And thank you very much for joining me, Noreen Mayer, this Saturday morning. I hope you have a wonderful weekend and I'll be back at the same time next Saturday. Take care and bye for now.